This is the ID Fanatic Podcast coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. Before we get to it, I have a favor to ask. This podcast is in its sixth week and has over 300 downloads. All I can conclude is that my two listeners have been very, very busy. However, I have zero reviews. Zilch. And Apple, king of the podcast world, bases its new and noteworthy list on how many reviews a podcast has by week eight. So, I'm in a bit of a pickle, and you can help by writing a review on whatever app you use. You can even pause and do it right now and come back. I won't mind. All right. Thanks in advance, and I'll update you on the results in the next show. My guest today is Mohammed Daniel of Hastings UK, founder of Cyclone Learning, my second Britisher. How are you doing, Mohammed? I'm good, thanks, Mitch. How are you? Great. So you said to me that you knew uh, one of my other interviewees, uh, Teresa Rose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've I'm, we've met, and it's a small world, the uh, the learning design world. How do you know her? We were introduced by a lady called Leslie. She works for a charity called Learn Appeal, mm-hmm. and she um, introduced us. So Learn Appeal is um, like a charity that helps get learning courses out to people in developing countries um, mm-hmm. who can't access the internet. It's quite cool, actually. You know, it's got that a way. That sounds really interesting. Of, actually, that's kind of how I transitioned into learning design because I set up. Um, I was teaching still at secondary school or high school, as you guys say, um, and I set up a, a club for girls. It was in a girls' school, and I set up a club for the girls to learn how to create instructional design courses using Evolve, which is what I use, because mm. I was just thinking, I was getting into it myself, you know, uh, starting to freelance, and um, and I just thought, oh, these kids, I was teaching IT at the same time, you know, teaching computer science. And I just thought, you know, these kids will get the hang of this really fast because it's not that hard to use and they're, they're really good with computers. Um, and then we set up a thing where we were like, they were starting to make courses for this project in rural Kenya. So I don't, in the end, none of their courses actually got used because they co- uh-huh. weren't quite good enough. But it was really nice for them to like have that feel of like, you know, doing something with people in the poorer part of the world and that kind of stuff. Oh my goodness. Um, so, that yeah. sounds terrific. So you mentioned uh, you use an authoring system called Evolve, which mm. I believe is uh, based on the open source system Adapt. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end so, up with that one? The, the standard over here in North America is usually Adobe Articulate uh, Storyline or Adobe yeah. Captivate. Yeah, I mean, it's still used here and I think it's more widely used here still than Evolve. Since 2003, I've been going between teaching and tech, um, Mm -hmm. as in working in the tech industry, Um, but only in the last few years in learning design. Before that, I was more in sort of sales, consultancy, training roles. And I was in one of those roles with a big tech company, American-based actually, uh, in structure. You know, they make Canvas LMS. And I was selling and consulting on, on Canvas, and I, which is a great LMS. But, you know, it, what I always ended up thinking was, 
you know, what, what, what about the content? What's going in the LMS? And I would always have to bring in stuff to sales pitches to, mm-hmm. to, to make it look good because otherwise you've just got like an empty box, you know, you've just got an empty LMS. Um, so I started just getting fascinated by how do people make this stuff, you know, this content that goes into the LMS. I'd never really considered it, you know. And then that led me to this whole world of e-learning where, you know, I just kind of stumbled on it. And suddenly there's all these systems for making it and there's people coding it. And I've got a bit of a coding background. So I thought, okay, let me get started with that framework, basically, because it's free. Um, And I I managed to set it up and, you know, managed to get moving on it. But it was so slow because I'm very, very slow at coder. Um, and I just thought, well, this is never really going to get me very far. Um, and then just on the forums, I heard Evolve mentioned as this kind of packaged version of Adapt, which you pay a subscription for, and it just does, you know, you don't have to code. It's just got this nice GUI. So I took a trial of it, and I thought, yeah, this is great. But you, um, you can code if you want to add something, right? You can't actually with Evolve. No, oh. it's funny. It's a quite yeah. It's quite a closed system. I mean, That's what weird. you can do is is you can submit enhancement requests, and they're pretty receptive. The guys, they're now part of um, Intelum, but they're still you know still who they are, and they're, they're really they're a good bunch, you know, and they work closely with you. But part of their thing is not to open it up to that to put in code in you can do things like there's components where you can put iframes in and things like that but you can't actually get into the underlying you know css and javascript and all of that Uh um but to be honest you know it's so versatile in terms of what you can do with theming and these kind of things um and the the big thing advantage it's got over articulate I, i think is 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 that it does the whole deep scrolling long pages and responds really well to mobile mm-hmm. which i've noticed that yeah yeah it was designed for mobile me. yeah and, exactly uh, yeah. when you're courting clients they don't care they're not insisting on one authoring system over another um not not one well it depends on the client doesn't it i mean i do a whole range of work you know sometimes i'm working for clients direct and they don't care what you make it on as long as it's it's good you know um uh-huh. Well, some of the clients are like that. Some of them, yeah, you're right. They want it in a certain package, but then if it's if they want it in articulate, then that's not something I would do because I don't know articulate. I haven't got it. So my most of my work is in Evolve, but I also do quite a lot of just mm-hmm. design work. Uh, I want to circle back a bit because uh, you live in Hastings, which is uh, way south of London on the coast, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what kind of town is it? Uh, What's it like living there? Well, it's small. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's nice. It's relaxed. It's got the sea. It's got na- lovely nature around. Um, Is it a tourist uh, location? Yeah, you get quite a lot of tourists, especially because of, you know, Battle of Hastings and all of that that everybody uh-huh. knows about. So um, summer, usually, obviously, when there's no COVID around, you get a lot of tourists. Winter is quieter. Um but it's nice, you know, there's 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 not that much going on. Has COVID yeah. got down there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did I mean, it? not that bad, but yeah, quite a few people got it. Um it didn't seem to hit anywhere near as bad as London. I don't know if that's because of the air. The air's quite good down here, so mm. yeah. Um and have you always lived there? No, no, I grew up in London. Um mm-hmm. uh, my wife is from Hastings, so when we 
got together. We spent a few years in London, then we went abroad for a few years and then uh, decided to give Hastings a go, mainly because it's healthier, a bit more natural for the kids um, mm. and cheaper as well, a lot cheaper. People spend a lot of time outdoors there? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot you can do. You know, I've got my paddle board ready for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on it, but it's there. <laughs> I was bought it by my family, so uh, we'll see. So let me ask you a question I like to ask everybody. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a kid? Well, I guess a spaceman or a footballer would be the answer. Because those are so closely related. They're so closely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's, that, those are the big things. And to be honest, the footballer was the main one. I used to dream sometimes about mm. scoring the winning goal in the FA Cup. You know, I don't know yeah. if you know about the FA Cup. Were you, in, were you in on teams when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. I used to play used to play for, for the school and, and, and all of that. Um, I was all right. I was pretty good. Um, I wasn't the biggest chap in the world. So, so once it got to teenage years and I didn't grow quite as big and fast as a lot of the others, I, I struggled a bit there, um, with the strength and everything, which was, which set me back a little bit in my footballing career. But, um, you know, picked it up again in my, in my twenties and thirties and five oh, aside good. football. <laughs> that's good. No, it's good to have yeah. a, you know, a hobby like that, that gets you, you know, that keeps you fit. Yeah, yeah. I don't really play anymore, but, but yeah. I like it. I still like well, football. you should pick it up again. That's my recommendation. Yeah. Make it a lifelong yeah. thing. True. What was the catalyst for your switch from uh, being a high school teacher to deciding to start your own company? A number of things, really. Like, I love a lot about teaching, as in live teaching kids, but there's a lot I, I don't like about it. And probably most teachers will say the same thing, you know, when you get the actual moments of, of true learning coming between you and, and the students, then it's lovely. There's no better job in the world. But there's so much rubbish around that. There's, you know, awful behavior of a lot of students. There's hassles from the management. There's inspections constant. There's the workload. The main, the main problem is the workload, at least in the UK anyway. It was very high workload, not very good money you know, not very good work-life balance. You're just expected to be spending evenings and weekends planning lessons, and you have to um, because you get no time in the day to plan because they fill up your day with, with, with classes. So you just end up really stressed and not very rich at all, you know. And you think, well, there's got to be something better than this after a while of doing it. And, uh, well, that's at least that's what I thought. And so I just started to look at what I could do really to move on from teaching, but to something that was connected, you know, so that my experience would get used. Um, and I found it in, in learning design. Has it had a, the impact on your income that you had hoped for? It has actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it could be bigger. So if you're offering any big bucks, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to happily take them. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, when you've got, when you're running a business, um, it's kind of like in your hands, isn't it? Uh, uh -huh. If you can get the contracts, if you can get the work, if you can negotiate the deals and the decent day rates or whatever it is, then you're making some money. Where Whereas when you're employed, it's it's just fixed, isn't it? You know, it's like, that's it. 
you yeah, want to yeah. get more money, you've got to move up the ladder, and even then and you don't get much. You, your clients mostly in England? Well, um, no, England and the States. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, mostly mostly UK. But yeah. um, because Evolve are quite big in the States recently, in the last year or so, I've, I've oh. had a bit coming in from the States. Cool. So, How do you find your skills as a high school teacher transfer into your role as an instructional designer? Because you're, you have, like, stand up in front of a classroom. Yeah. This is a sort of more isolated. And you know what? When you, we're talking about the, the problems of the classroom, um, mm. I, I was never a teacher, but I was a student. And when I, yeah. when I was a student, I swore that I would never become a teacher for exactly the <laughs> kinds of reasons that you're talking about. I said, who yeah. needs this? It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, because when I transitioned in or I started to transition in, what I did was, as I said, I learned Evolve and I started basically creating courses, e-learning courses in my own time, mm. um, the little time that I had when I was teaching and just trying to build up my skills and get a portfolio so that I could get some work. And one of the first things I did was collaborate with an, an English literature teacher in my school on a project to teach kids GCSE poetry. So we made this course. Uh, it didn't sell because schools don't want to pay for anything, but at least I had this course created and, you know, I started to show it to people um, with a view to saying, you know, can I get some work like corporate mm -hmm. contracts, like the stuff I'm doing now. And there was this one feedback I had from a woman, very talented designer who'd, who'd interviewed me for a, a contract. And she was, she hadn't given me the contract and I was just getting some feedback as to why. And she was basically saying that I hadn't been talking about thinking about the design of it and the pedagogy behind it and all of these things. And I was sitting there thinking, hang on a minute, this, this, this person's like half my age and she's telling me about things that I've been studying for the last 20 years, you know, pedagogy and all of this. And, and she's right as well. She wasn't wrong. I hadn't mentioned it. And I realized that I hadn't been thinking about e-learning in that way at all, which is quite interesting. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I've been a consumer of e-learning for a lot longer than I've been a designer of it. And when I was a consumer of it, I generally didn't like it very much at all. And a lot of people don't, you know, they just like, mm -hmm. oh, God, got to do this compliance or whatever. And I didn't even consider that there was design that was going into it, that people were thinking about the pedagogy. I don't know. Maybe they didn't on the stuff I did, but I didn't have that view <laughs> at all. Probably not. Yeah, you know. So when I started making it, I was just thinking, yeah, you know, just make things look nice. You know, just, just mm. use that flippy card thing. You know, they can click on that. That'll be nice mm. for them. That was about as deep as my thinking went. So here was this this lady saying, you know, but what's the point of that component? What's the learning objective? What's the outcomes and all of this stuff? And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this is teaching. She's talking about teaching. And then it, it clicked in my brain. It was like a little light bulb went off that all I had to do was take all the experience and learning that I'd got from being in education and, and make this kind of lateral move with it in my brain and pour it into e-learning, learning design. And, and that's what I've been trying to do since then. And, um, and it, it works, you know. I mean, it, it, it really does work because you're talking about the same things. You're talking about the same principles, you know, like action-based mapping like we use in, in, 
it is such a big thing. I think Kathy Moore, isn't it? Um, and it's great. It's absolutely true. You know, get get people clear on what they're going to do as a result of this learning. Not let's not just yeah. be all about what you're going to think or something. And it's how you teach high school students. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how you teach them. If you don't get them doing things as soon as possible, you've lost them. You've lost them. They're going to start misbehaving and your whole lesson is ruined. So it's the same principles. And, and I'm finding these correlations more and more. Um, so it's interesting, although I, I've only been in learning design, you know, a few years, I feel like I've got a lot of experience from other things that is helping me in, in my learning design, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Were you the one, I, I read somebody was talking about techniques they used for uh, for getting kids to behave in class, like greeting them at the door. Yes, yes, yes. I was, I've written that. I've, I'm thinking of doing that as an article on LinkedIn or something because I've just been, yeah, trying to trying to see this this correlation and make it a little bit more literal. Yeah. Um, so I thought that yeah. was interesting because meeting yeah. kids at the door. I mean, I, I've never had a teacher that did that, but it kind of. Uh -huh. You know, they're entering a space where it's just a big space, like a playroom, you know, if, you know, whatever their attitude is. But if you greet them at the door, it kind of personalizes it. It, it highlights your relationship right at the beginning, and maybe that influences their, their behavior. Is that your, your thinking? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of schools now, they, they have it. Like, teachers have to do it, you know, Yeah. Um, yeah. which is a bit, a bit annoying when you have to do things. But it is it does make a difference you know because it's like you know these kids are sort of they're obsessed with what nothing to do with school they're obsessed with their chats and their social lives and who's with who and all of these things and and then they're walking into your classroom carrying on that social life um and if you don't make it clear that you know you're in a different space now it's time to switch off that and switch on uh -huh. to what i've got to talk to you about then they're just going to keep socializing <laughs> And so, so how do you do that in uh, an e-learning course? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say maybe the the video at the beginning of an e-learning course that creates that same kind of um, break, mm -hmm. um, if it's good, you know. And and I, I don't know, like a lot of the big projects that I've been working on recently, like with you know teams of designers and people like that, where the budgets are quite big. Um, I've noticed that more and more budget is going into these intro videos, these promotional videos for the course, you know, like whether it's a stock footage and, or whether it's animation or, or whatever it is. But it's like people are realizing that if you can grab the learner at that point, at the beginning, and really wow them with something, then you've got their attention. And then, obviously, you need to take it somewhere and mm -hmm. do something good with it. And that's very similar to the classroom environment because if you stand there at the door and you say, this is, hello, good morning, and this is me, and welcome to this mm -hmm. amazing maths lesson, you know, they might ignore you. Uh, <laughs> they might think you're an idiot, but, yeah. but they can't ignore you. They, and you know, the video has more impact than just putting welcome to this course on the screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. The next few questions are more about your personal life to give our listeners some insight into how you juggle your different roles, okay? Okay. Now, you mentioned to me offline that your company, Cyclone Learning, is you and your wife. Is that right? Yep, that's right. All right. How does, how does that work? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we, we get contracts and she does some and I do some. Um, she's, you know, she's pretty good at graphics and theming, which is good. So it complements the, the scripting and stuff that I do quite well. What's your wife's background? She's been teaching and, and like as a private tutor for quite a while, but the kids, we've had, we've got four kids and they're, um, you know, they're, the youngest is a sort of 15, 16 now. So she's just coming to that point where she's starting to look to sort of get back into more full-time work. So, um, yeah, but she's got a background in, in education as well. So you, you went from teach, leaving to go teach in the classroom every day to working from home and you've got the kids around. How, how's your work-life balance? It's all right, as long as they're at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tricky sometimes. I mean, you know, I think everybody's struggled a little bit this last year haven't we with all being stuck together at home but um yeah it's all right i mean you know the stress of teaching is so high really so high you know you're dealing with especially it depends what type of school you work in but i worked in schools with quite difficult students from difficult backgrounds you know uh, and they're very challenging behavior you know so you're kind of going into battle almost every day you know you're you're dealing with quite heavy confrontations every single day um so to be able to sit at home and work and do calls with people who are pretty nice to you uh it's amazing i still feel like i'm on holiday i have to be honest with you <laughs> it, it really is amazing it's a working you know, holiday right it, it, yeah so, you know like the, what's the worst thing you get you get a, a client stressing you about a deadline or something <laughs> or about how the amends aren't how they wanted them but you know, I, ha- I keep halfing, expect people to start swearing at me and stuff, you know, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> but it does at school. <laughs> it's a different world. It yeah, is, no, teachers yeah. teachers are uh, hugely underappreciated what they, what they have to go through, I think. Yeah, it's true, definitely. So I have a final question. What do you do to keep sane when you're not working? Well, I guess my first thing is my religion. Um, I'm quite... Uh, you know, I converted to Islam about 20 odd years ago. So it kind of keeps me, keeps me saying we've got Ramadan coming, starting tomorrow. So going to be fasting all day. So that's, that's a big thing. So um, you, you took on the name Muhammad? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I took it on. So I guess you were in London at the time, 20 years ago. I was in Brighton, actually. I was at university in Brighton. Is there a large Muslim community there? Um, just the students, really. It was more about my research, though. I'd been, you know, when I was younger, I used to travel a lot. I left school yeah. at quite an early age, and I traveled around a lot. Um, and uh, I was always looking for something, I suppose, you know, looking for looking for God, I guess. But I never thought of it like that. I was always just thinking I need some, you know, meditation technique or uh-huh. yoga and all of that. And I did a lot of that. Uh, but then I felt that it needed some kind of focus so I started looking into religions and I started with my family's religion, which is Judaism and kind of felt that this was good, but kind of just for a select bunch of people. So, yeah, so that's interesting. My, uh, I'm Jewish, but I'm not religious, but my brother, my older brother, uh, when he was like in his, uh, his late teens, he went to Israel and, you know, got invited to dinner at a yeshiva and ended up becoming Orthodox. So. 
<laughs> in a different direction, it's kind of a, a similar journey. What? Okay, so that's a two-minute warning. To wrap up, I'd like to ask 10 questions taken from the Actor Studio, an interview show on American TV. The idea is just to say the first thing that pops into your mind and not think too much about it. Are you ready? Okay. Yay. All right, what's your favorite word? Blue. What is your least favorite word? Green. Any any explanation for those? I don't know. It's just what came into my head. <laughs> ah, all right. That's what I said to do, right? Yeah. Okay, what, tr- what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Creatively, I think it's something that looks good and that feels good. Um, feeling is the most important thing. I've, I, I want to be emotionally moved by something, whether it's art, whether it's music. And so if I create a course, I want people to get emotionally moved by that course, which is... Mm. Harder, much more harder to do when you're doing a, a compliance course on how to install a doorbell. A doorbell. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but some some courses, I, I feel like I managed to do that when it's like, you know, All right. scenarios and things like that. Now, what turns you off? Uh, arrogance. Hmm. What is your favorite curse word? Can't say it on air. Yeah, you can say it on air. We're a podcast. <laughs> Actually, it's not that bad. It's it's bloody. I say, I say bloody. Bloody. You can't say bloody yeah. on air. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Birds tweeting. What sound or noise do you hate? Car exhausts. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Footballer. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned that. <laughs> we got that I think, in earlier. I think that time might that ship might have sailed that's me yeah okay so what profession would you like not to do what i like not to do uh train driving just because i think it seems really boring because all you do is sit there okay so the final question and i, I knew i would come up with this because it's a it's a very uh, christian european based question but Let's let's go with it and see how it goes. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. You know, you got it right. You did well. You did. You passed the test. <laughs> Life is a test, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a great and great conversation. Uh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Right, thanks a lot, Mohammed. Good to meet you online. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. I hope you're inspired to subscribe or write a review. Good, bad, or ugly, tell me what you think. To get notices of upcoming episodes, sign up at theidfanatic.com. You'll also get a free gift of my instructional design cheat sheet. You can contact me, Mitch Waldowski, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye, bye, bye.